Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So we've got an election just uh, a few weeks away. And in the meantime, there's a global pandemic unfolding all around the world and close to home. We've got issues uh, floating around like wearing masks and the importance of health care and racial justice and police accountability and protests and the importance of our environment all around us, right? So how appropriate that we have today a story from Scripture where Jesus fields a very political question. How might our faith and our involvement in the issues of the world intersect? That's a, that's a frightening and challenging question to be sure. But truthfully, you don't have to look very far to find someone mixing religion and politics. In 15 seconds or less, I bet you could easily find a video on YouTube or TikTok or a post on Facebook or a tweet on Twitter with uh, sentiments like this. You know, how can you call yourself a Christian and support this candidate or support this political party or support these taxes, or this funding, or this lack of funding, etc. Now it turns out, when we read our gospel for today, we discover that these kinds of questions have been around for a long, long time. Listen now as I read from Matthew chapter 22. For now, verses 15 through 18. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? What's going on here, huh? Well, we're coming down the final stretch of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem in chapter 21 of Matthew, riding on a donkey, which is a very clear sign that he is the promised, long-awaited king of Israel. And the Pharisees have had just about enough of Jesus, and so they attempt to catch him in a trap. Right? That's what you do with people you think are aspiring political leaders and you don't like them. You try to trap them. And what better way to trap Jesus than with a question that's politically and religiously loaded. Right? Just snare him in this huge trap. So they butter up Jesus by telling him how smart and honest he is. And then they ask him, this question, right? So Jesus, right? Well, tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? In other words, can you be a godly person and support the empire too? Whew, that's a doozy of a question. That is a doozy of a trap. If Jesus says yes, he looks like he's in cahoots with the Roman Empire. If he says no, his ministry has now been reduced to a political coup. But as usual, Jesus is far more clever than the traps that are set for him. 
He is so above our questions about whether or not we can still be a Christian and do this or that, right? I want to read again now from Matthew 22, Jesus' answer from verses 19 to 22. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. And he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Notice how Jesus answers them. First, he asks for a coin that's used to pay the tax that they're wondering about. I find it telling that Jesus doesn't have one in his own pocket. But I'll bet those Pharisees practically tripped over each other getting one of those coins to Jesus. At any rate, Jesus looks at it and says, Well, if the emperor went to all that bother putting his image on all those coins, you better give him what belongs to him. On the other hand, he adds, Give God what belongs to him. With these words, Jesus certainly gives us permission to be citizens of the world. To work, to play, to pay our taxes, to serve in public office. It's okay to give the government what belongs to the government. It's part of our calling to be engaged citizens in this world. So go ahead. Go ahead. Let your faith influence your politics. Engage in public debate about public policy. It's our duty, our duty as citizens of this world to be engaged in the things of this world. But notice this also. Jesus doesn't dwell there very long. He wants to get back to something more important, to use this trap as a teachable moment. Give God what belongs to God. And when the Pharisees hear these words, they're speechless. And they walk away. Why? Well, think about it. Think about that statement. Give God what belongs to God. It makes us ask the question, well, what exactly belongs to God? And our Christian tradition is is full of answers to this question. You can go to the Apostles' Creed and, and Luther's explanation of that creed in the small catechism. We confess with these words, says Luther, that God has made us and all that exists. Furthermore, says Luther, God and Jesus Christ has saved and redeemed us that we might be his own. The Apostle Paul is helpful as well. In Romans chapter 14, he writes, We do not live to ourselves, we do not die to ourselves. Whether we live or whether we die, We are the Lord's. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, that we are not our own, but that we were bought with a price. So we ought to glorify God with with ourselves, our bodies. These are just a few examples from our catechism, from, from our central tenets of faith, from Scripture itself, about what belongs to God. What belongs to God? Every part of us, 
All that we have, ourselves, our time, our possessions, it all comes from God and belongs to God. We belong to God. The whole of creation belongs to God. So if Jesus calls us to give to God what belongs to him, and we can very clearly discern from God's word elsewhere that we ourselves belong to God, how is it exactly that we give our whole selves to God? How do we return our entire lives to God? I have to admit, I'm I'm probably the wrong person to ask. These last months have have been hard on me. I feel so limited in my life and ministry because of COVID-19. I wonder every day if I'm even making a difference at all. Being a, a, a radio and YouTube preacher was novel for a while, but I, to be honest, I feel hopelessly lost. I feel like every day I'm reinventing ministry and usually not doing a very good job of it. But this past week, when I wasn't so busy feeling sorry for myself, I found myself thinking about a man that I greatly admired, Dr. William Oliver. His colleagues called him Bill. I called him Dr. Oliver. Dr. Oliver was an anesthesiologist who specialized in pediatrics. And he was the doctor who pretty much ran things in the intensive care unit on the fifth floor of St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota, which is where our youngest daughter, Amsala, was following her first open-heart surgery from October 7th through the 14th, 2008. It was Dr. Oliver's job to order the right balance of medicines, to oversee Amsala's delicate state of sedation, to get her weaned from her ventilator, and to keep her on this precariously narrow path of healing. He is beyond any doubt one of the handful of doctors that Audrey and I are deeply indebted to for saving our daughter's life. What I didn't know at the time was that Dr. Oliver also lived with cystic fibrosis, a disease that eventually claimed his life a few years ago at the age of 62. His obituary said it well. Bill's devotion to God, his wife, and medicine gave him the endurance to fight a debilitating disease allowing him to change the world for the better. That was Dr. Oliver, a man who, in my mind, gave to God what belonged to God. His whole life. His whole life. But do you want to know something that I find amazing about Dr. Oliver? He admired me. He said so. He said that he admired that Audrey and I would adopt children, including a child with a known congenital heart defect. He admired that I can write a sermon every week. His closing words to me as we walked out of the hospital should have been, now listen, buddy, (laughs) you take good care of that little girl because she's fragile and we didn't save her life for nothing. Right? But no. He just asked me to send him a copy of the picture that we took with him. I found out later that he and his wife didn't have any children. 
and that he considered the kids he took care of up there on the fifth floor at St. Mary's to be part of his family. He wanted a picture of Amsala, whom he considered one of his kids. And then he once again reiterated his respect and appreciation for us. It was like Superman stopping to thank a hot dog vendor for all that he does for the city. It's funny, isn't it? How easily we see in a neighbor a heart that gives so generously to others, a life given in service to God. But truth be told, each of us, in our own way, gives ourselves to God in the places where God places us, even on days when we seem to be doing nothing at all. Whether that place is the intensive care unit or the classroom or the production floor or the print room or in a house full of kids or in a quiet, childless home, in all those places where we dedicate ourselves to ordinary, everyday work, we give God what belongs to God, our whole selves. My friends, this this isn't a sermon about voting a particular way. But giving your whole self to God does mean facing uncomfortable questions about public policy and weighing candidates and resolutions against your faith. This isn't a sermon about raising money for the church. But giving our whole selves to God does mean wrestling with God's call to live generously, including with our pocketbooks. This isn't a sermon where I try to convince you to be a better parent or a better brother or sister or child or grandparent or neighbor. But giving your whole self to God is certainly about the power of God infecting your whole life. Your bank account, your relationships, your workplace, your home, your neighborhood, your whole life. Is that challenging work? You better believe it. But it is our call as followers of Christ, as people of God, to spend our lives seeking to give God what belongs to God. Will we fail every day at that work? Absolutely. But thanks be to God, who has not only called us to this work, but graciously given us a place at the banquet even before we could do one ounce of work to earn it. See, God has given God's whole self too. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has given his whole self to us in order that we might belong to him and to each other too. And God has called us to be generous with our whole selves in this world of his in our plain old ordinary lives. He's he's called us to spend our lifetime striving to give him what belongs to him. To give ourselves away to our neighbors near and far, knowing that when our lives on this earth are done, when he has exhausted us completely at last, he will raise us. He will raise us up to new eternal life by the grace of his son Jesus Christ. He has invited us to give until our question changes from what must I do to I can't believe God has really called me to such amazing yet ordinary work. God bless you, my friends, as you seek in your own life to give to God the things 
that are God's. In Jesus' name, amen.